0: Welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love hosted by Richard Osler. I'm really glad to have a fellow podcast host and wonderful human on the podcast, joining me via Zoom from her home in San Clemente, California. Welcome to the podcast, Mary Alice Hatch.
1: Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: Um, Just to introduce Mary Alice Hatch, and she goes by Mary Alice, so I'll probably call her that the rest of the podcast. Um, she's a married mother of two. Both her kids are married, a, a daughter and a son. She lives, as I mentioned, in San Clemente, grew up in Potomac, Maryland. So she's grew up on one side of the country and moved to another side of the country. Um, she is an elder, uh, not an elders corn president, a release Society president. She may talk about award division and she got called again or recalled. So she's in her fourth or fifth year as a release Society president doing just wonderful work. She also hosts a podcast that's a terrific podcast, and that's why I reached out to Mary Alice and wanted her to be on this podcast so you listeners can connect with her podcast. I like to use this platform to connect listeners with other wonderful podcasts. Her podcast is called What Now? And it'll talk a little bit about her son who came home early from a mission and a little bit about our culture and just things that we can do to improve the culture. So Mary Alice and I have a lot of the same feelings about um, our love for the church and a desire to improve our culture so more can participate. So I'm grateful to have Mary Alice on the podcast and the work she's doing not only through her LDS tools, sort of formal calling as Relief Society President, but this other work she's doing to help create Zion in so many ways. And Listeners, I've had a few, several people reach out that just talk to me about Mary Alice and the work she's doing and their um, and how needed it is and how it helps them feel wanted and belonging and safe in her release society. So my hope and prayer is that you listeners will have some ideas that come to your mind from the work that Mary Alice is doing that in your circle of influence, you can implement or at least consider and discuss in your councils. Is that okay for an introduction, Mary Alice?
1: Well, that sounds great. I don't think I need to do my prepared (laughs) introduction anymore.
0: (laughs) Well, you can expand on it, so I'll just turn it over to you.
1: No, thank you so much for having me, Richard. I really appreciate it. And like Richard said, yes, I have my own podcast, and Richard and I are very aligned in what we um, are passionate about, which is uh, changing certain aspects of the church culture that are hurtful and painful to certain members um, and in a productive way, in a positive way to help everyone see where they fit in in the church and they do fit in. Um, As Richard said, I grew up in Potomac, Maryland. I'm the youngest of four girls. My grandfather, John Willard Marriott Sr., founded Marriott Corporation, which is now the largest hotel conglomerate in the world. I grew up working in our restaurants and hotels. I was blessed to learn a strong work ethic from a young age. I went to Brigham Young University where I met my husband, Jess Hatch, who's the youngest son of the former Senator Orrin Hatch. And we have two grown children who are both married, as Richard said. One lives in San Clemente by us, and the other lives in Orem, Utah. And I am a release Society president, recalled in San Clemente, California. I didn't know that was a thing. And I'm Grateful for that. I've been um, actively engaged in that for almost four years in June, and I'm honored and humbled to be recalled to that position. And and I'm also blessed to be an ordinance worker at the Newport Beach Temple on Wednesday afternoons. So um, my life is full and I'm grateful. So, um, But a little bit about my story is in September 2019, I felt inspired to start the What Now podcast after our son came home early from his mission and his early return showed us the reality of the stigma that still exists around not meeting that tier cultural expectation. And to be honest, I didn't feel like there were many resources that were helpful for us to cope with that altered reality for ourselves and our son, which motivated me to address these cultural challenges in a respectful and honest way with a podcast in an effort to create more understanding, hope, and healing for our church community. So everything in our church culture leads to serving a tier mission. I mean, we sing, I hope they call me on a mission when kids are in primary, and then mission prep, and most of our meetings focus on missionary work or missionaries leaving or coming home. So that can be really hard for people who don't serve or don't serve a full-time mission. I did not realize how much we talked about serving missions until my son came home early. And I was just so much more heightened to that. You know, and I have to admit, I was a box checker. (laughs) I wanted my kids to graduate from seminary and go to BYU and go on a mission. I mean, the whole program, I was all in. I was checking every box. But The reality is that not every child is going to meet that expectation, and that is okay. You know, we all have our own journey. We're all going to connect with the gospel of Jesus Christ in different ways. So I want to reference your book a little bit, Richard, in your recent Listen, Learn, and Love book, you devote an entire chapter to early return missionaries. And you reference a talk given by Elder Holland, where he speaks about How we don't need to quantify missions, but that there is value in going, no matter how long a missionary serves. And Elder Holland's video you referenced is the same video my son watched when he decided to come home early from his mission. And Elder Holland's inspired words really gave my son the courage to do what was right for him. And, you know, we're hearing in conference and in the talks that our dear prophet, President Nelson, is giving, and he is pleading with us to receive personal revelations for the choices we make in our life. So how could I not support my son who sought revelation to leave his mission and receive confirmation that leaving was the right choice for him? I had to support that. You know, leaving the mission early, it still has a stigma attached to it because we place so much value in our church culture on men serving a tier mission and have so many judgments about those who leave early. For example, you know, members might assume that these missionaries didn't have enough faith or they can't work hard or they don't have a strong testimony. And the reality is that a mission is not for everyone and not every young man is going to go and serve for two years. And we have got to get over that in our culture and remove the shame we impose on those we worth, who worthily try to serve. So when my son, just to give you kind of a snapshot, of what I was going through is when my son called me from his mission, I saw that Colorado Springs area code come up. And I tell you, my heart stopped. When you see that come up and you, I don't know anyone in Colorado Springs. (laughs) But you knew the area area code. (laughs) And he's surfing there. I'm like, my heart was racing. And I have to say, when I heard his voice on the other end, after I picked up and he was so distraught and he was so broken, I was just shocked by what he was feeling and experiencing. And I was scared for him. I mean, he loved the MTC. He was, you know, so excited to bring the gospel to everyone, you know, in Colorado. But and then when I get this call, I'm thinking, what happened? You know, the mission had triggered something in him I had never seen before, and he needed to leave. And I fully supported him in that decision because he had prayed about it. He watched the video from Elder Holland about not quantifying your missionary service, but that there is value in trying to go at all, and that the church is grateful for any amount of time they were able to serve. You know, I felt like in many ways, it was a harder decision for my son to come home in our culture than to stay at some points, (laughs) because there's so much shame and backlash when someone comes home early, and this is pre-COVID. It was not as common. And I have to say, I was proud of him. I was proud of him for having the courage to know himself well enough to leave a situation that wasn't healthy for him. I mean, as parents, aren't we all teaching that to our kids? Their whole life, aren't we teaching them to get out of situations that are potentially hazardous for them? I mean, this situation was not good for him. And despite the pushback he got from certain family, friends, and church leaders, he still came home. And that takes a lot of courage. And I had to applaud that. And Elder Holland, he offers these words of support in his response to a letter from a person who served for only four months and went home to mental health and felt like a failure. And I love this. And is it okay if I read this? Please. It is so powerful. Elder Holland says, commendation to you. And the love of the Lord to you, and the blessings of the church to you for trying to go, for wanting to go, and for the fact that you successfully served for four months. It obviously wasn't a full term, but it was missionary service. It was honest. You were loyally participating and testifying. And I want you to take credit for that. I want you to take the appropriate dignity that you deserve from that and to know that the Lord loves you. And the church loves you for serving. I want you to be appropriately proud. I want you to take the dignity and the strength and the faith that came from your four months and cherish that forever. I don't want you to apologize for coming home. When someone asks you if you served a mission, you say yes. You do not need to follow that up with, but it was only for four months. Just forget that part and just say yes. You served a mission and to be proud of the time you spent. That is from an apostle of the Lord. That is validating to parents and children who have had missionaries come home. You know, when a missionary comes home early, we don't need to get all the details. You talk about this in your book, and I really like this. We don't need to get all the details. We just need to welcome them back. It's it's that simple. You know, tell them how happy you are to see them and ask them what they're looking forward to doing next. We don't need to pressure them to go back on a mission or make them feel bad about their decision to come home, or why they're back home. It's not productive. It's not helpful. It's just hurtful. You know, I started my podcast when my son came home early from his mission in an effort to reduce the stigma attached to early return missionaries. I feel like the What Now podcast is part of my son's mission. I have been able to reach thousands of people through the podcast, and I would not have started that podcast if he hadn't come home. I mean the reality is our whole life is a mission not just 18 months or 2 years. I mean how we treat people and how we live our life is part of our discipleship as members of Christ church. I love the powerful quote by sister McConkie where she says the gospel of Jesus Christ does not marginalize people. People marginalize people and we have to fix that. And she's right. You know, we need to stop the negative cycle within our church culture where some of our members are harming these young men and women with their judgments about their service. Christ would never do that. We need to remember that we all have a responsibility to change aspects of our culture that are damaging for our members. We all have the ability to love and honor those who might not fulfill the expectations in our church culture. So that's my story. And you can feel to jump in anytime, but that's kind of where my perspective is, and where what motivated me to start the podcast and to just help other members find that understanding, hope, and healing they're looking for.
0: Um, I'm just really touched by that. Um, thanks for just sharing your family story and leading into this podcast, and perhaps your son' mission continues in what you are doing through the podcast and your guests and his story to improve church culture. And maybe this is all part of the plan for your family. Talk about, talk to, you know, we some parents may want to be prepared for a son or a daughter leaving on a mission and and nervous about just how it's going to work out for them. And did you, I don't know if you have any advice for parents as their kids are leaving Um, Were were there any yellow flags you saw in your own son that gave you concern as he started? Or was this a complete curveball? That's kind of one question. Um, And I'll give you another question after that one.
1: Well, that's a great question. I think we can prepare our missionaries by letting them know how hard it's going to be. You know, I remember my son watching my best two years when he was young. And sometimes we can make the mission look like it's like the easiest, best thing ever. And it's going to be just, if you're exactly obedient, it's all going to work out great, but it doesn't always do that. So I think you have to manage expectations when they're going out, be real with how hard it's going to be and that they, they can overcome it if they're prepared enough. I don't think my son was prepared enough. I don't think he realized the reality of what he was going to be facing and especially our kids are so tied into social media and they're used to being connected to people. They're not used to the isolation. They're used to having contact with people you know, on demand. And when you're on a mission, you don't have that. I mean, I think that's why he loved the MTC because the camaraderie, all the young men his age, they're all in classes together. They're all amping each other up for the mission. And then you get sent out to the mission. You're in the middle of nowhere with someone you might not even like. For six weeks, I mean that makes me anxious just thinking about it, but, but maybe giving them some coping strategies on how to push through. So when they're out there, they can expect that they can expect that they'll be lonely. They can expect that they might be isolated and maybe give them a little bit of training or even therapy before they go to help them know what to do. And when those hard things happen, some coping mechanisms on how to manage it.
0: You said something I've never connected the dots on. I'm aware that this generation is very connected to social media. And sometimes we frame that as a negative way, but you just talked about it in a very matter of fact. That's the way they connect and make connection in a lot of ways, as well as classroom discussion like at the MTC. But when that changed so dramatically, um, that the impact on people's emotional health, your son and others, and realizing that that's just a reality of, Serving a mission and being prepared for that. That was, I've never connected the dots like that, Mary Alice. That was really helpful. Um, More things you'd, the next question I have, and maybe you're going to get in this, is you talk about judgments when he came home. What did leaders, I mean, what advice do you have for people that want to do the right thing when a missionary walks in, whether they're a a member of the ward or, or even someone in leadership that may feel My job is to get your son back on a mission. If you want to talk about either of those, go for it.
1: Well, you really had an incredible chapter in your book, Listen, Learn, and Love, about the church culture. You have two books. It's the second book. And where you talk about that, where I feel like, you know, sometimes church leaders can say things that can really cause a lot of damage. And it's important just to respect the value in them receiving their own personal revelation to leave for whatever reason that was and validating that because that is what we're teaching in our church. I mean, our prophet is saying, you know, seek personal revelation for your life and It's important because we never want people to feel like they have to go against their own personal revelation. That's what I think is so damaging to people. Wait, you've taught us to do this, but I did it and now I'm being criticized for it. We just need to love people. Honestly, it sounds so trite and simple, but really we just need to love. We don't need to judge. We don't need to... You know, push them back out on their mission, because I know we had a couple of missionaries from our San Clemente mission that went home early. And I remember one of the mothers calling me, and she was really, really upset. And I did and this is after you know my son had come home early from his mission. I did say, I will give you one bit of advice. When he comes home, you just embrace him and you love him and you support his decision and you bury all these negative angry feelings that you have and let that go because it will really really damage him if he's not received well when he comes home so and and she did she did do that and she called me a few months later it was like i'm i'm i didn't want to do that <laughs> and i wanted to be mad <laughs> but she did do that and it really salvaged the relationship because When these kids aren't received well, it damages their relationships with their family and friends and whoever doesn't receive them well, especially their church leaders. I mean, church leaders are supposed to be acting as Christ would receive them. And would Christ do that? Would Christ shame someone? He would not do that. So, I mean, we just go back to our core principles of our doctrine, right? To love as Christ loves to treat others as we want to be treated.
0: I love the word salvage the relationship and how important that is to do. And this non-transactional, non-agenda love, it's hard to do as parents sometimes because we hope for these outcomes. We see um, generally how missions benefit um, those that serve, but there's exceptions to that. And I love you that you come back, Mary Alice, to this to what our church teaches about personal revelation. And and I love where you kind of um, talk about how personal revelation can sometimes butt up against um, cultural expectations or family expectations or general church advice, like all men should share missions. And I think it's really important to go like you're inviting us to do, to say let people own their personal revelation and our personal revelation doesn't give us the ability to judge their revelation. And that can be hard as parents because we hope for things for our kids, but it's relieving in a way to say that's not our job. Um, We take correct principles and let people govern themselves through a personal revelation. I don't want to make this about me, but one story in that chapter is a young man when I was a YSA bishop, and he was pretty beat up. He was about 23, 22, and You know His relationship with his prior priesthood leaders was mostly all about getting on a mission, and he was kind of hanging on to his church membership, and I just, instead of doing that, I did a lot of listening to him, and the impression came to my mind was to do what you're inviting us to do, to honor his personal revelation, but it was conflicted because I knew in the back of my mind, his parents were praying that somehow I'd say the right thing to get him on a mission, and maybe... His home ward bishop, knowing he was over at the YSA ward, was hoping I would somehow get him on a mission. And and that motivation in the back of my mind could lead me into what I'd call, and you may have some thoughts in this sort of spiritual manipulation, where I would use scriptures or use um, things in a way to manipulate somebody to um, do something that I thought was right for them without honoring their personal revelation. Now there's certainly stories of where a well-meaning bishop got someone to go on a mission without spiritual manipulation. so it's kind of a fine line, but I just recognized and I listened to this young man and he eventually, you know I just honored his personal revelation. I said, okay, I won't define our relationship by if you're going to go on a mission or not. I'll just walk with you and what how can I help you come closer to Christ And he said, I'd like to work towards going to the temple. And then I lost track of him and I share this story in the book. And then, you know, four or five years later, I was a temple worker in the Salt Lake Temple and he walked in to be married. And he just gave me this gigantic hug and he allowed me to put that story and how much it meant to him. And I just was grateful for that. And I, not to say I did the right thing and other people did the wrong thing, but it's back to what you're trying to invite us to do is honor people's personal revelation and then get behind them and support them. So more thoughts on that and how we can support early release missionaries and um, just more on this subject. It's so close to home for you. I think you have more things to share with us.
1: Yeah, I think too, for parents, it's really important because I found myself caught up in the culture. Like, okay, so if he does this, his life is going to turn turn out so much better than if he doesn't do it you know, I had all these fears surrounding the mission experience, like, oh, it'll make him so much more organized and so much more mature and so much better with people. And like, you have these really high expectations of what the mission can do for a child. I know most members feel that way. And, and also in our culture, I think a lot of people feel like, well, it's a reflection on me, you know, if they do well, and they're an AP, that means I was a great parent. You know, and but if they don't, I somehow, I failed, right? If they come home, I'm the failure. I know a lot of parents feel that way. And it's such a hard um mentality to have because our kids have their own agency, and they are going to make choices that are totally out of the realm of our parenthood. And it's not a reflection of our parenthood. It's just a reflection that they have agency. And so, and we don't need to attach our self-esteem to their agency. I think that's a really important point for parents to realize that our kids are going to make choices sometimes that aren't our, the choices we want for them, but it doesn't mean their whole life isn't going to turn out well because of it. You know, they all our decisions we make, our decisions, the decisions our kids make ebb and flow, and that's what gives us life experience. And it's good for us. And some of the greatest men I know didn't serve missions. And some of the greatest men I know served missions. So either way, it's not a black mark on their life if they don't serve the mission. And what my son's seeing now is a lot of these kids that did stay, even though they didn't want to stay, have come home and left the church. And I am seeing that happen a lot. And that's more concerning to me. I felt like, you know, when I talked to my son about coming home, said, I'd rather have you come home now and stay in the church than just deal with it and suck it up and and hate it and then come home and leave just for the sake of saying you served a full-term mission. That's not the point. So
0: those are really good thoughts. Um, I wrote down something you said. Uh, We don't need to attach our self-esteem to their choices. What a powerful parenting principle that's often really difficult to do, and maybe more so for women. This is okay to say, because maybe this isn't okay to say, listeners, but I think at least in our home, my wife has invested more time and energy into our kids and maybe a little more tied to their choices than I am. Um, And it's painful for any parent, so maybe it's not even good to go down that road saying if it's harder for moms or dads. but. culturally you're right we want these expect we want these for our kids but then sometimes our own self-worth gets tied into our kids choices and that's the part of that i'd love to particularly pull out of us as parents is and our culture is to you know testimony meetings where um, people get up and talk about their leadership of their sons on missions and sort of create a culture around not only missions but the type of leadership experiences they're having and I just think that sort of adds to this culture that can be really difficult. Talk more, unless you want, you can talk more about that, but talk more about the challenges. You touched on this subject of um, some that stay that really don't want to stay and how that's actually maybe more long-term detrimental to their relationship with the church than just coming home on their own merits. More on why that, connecting those dots for our listeners.
1: Yeah, I think... Um, I mean, Trevin was telling me in the MTC, some of the boys in there with him were saying, you know, like, it's not an option for me to come home. I mean, my parents have said, like, the whole, you don't come home unless you're in a body bag. And that is so damaging. And I just think, is that really, like, what is this really about? You know, I have a friend who was a mission president who came home a couple years ago, and I loved his perspective. And a lot of these kids don't have great mission presidents, and their mission president ruins their mission. I mean, they're all about numbers, and they're not about what it's really about. And our friend who served, he came home, and he just said, if that missionary converts himself, that's a win. We want them to convert themselves first. And once they really convert themselves and they work on themselves and their testimony and why they're out there and what they're trying to get out of this, then they become some of our best missionaries. But if we just come at them with quotas and all this obligation and how they need to approach people and what that, you know, it wasn't about revelation, converting themselves. It was just about, you know, numbers and a very different leadership style. So it's really important for mission presence really to go out and be about the missionary. Let's get them converted. Let's get them excited about the missionary work. And then they can go out and be good missionaries because they've converted themselves. You know, a lot of times these kids, you know, that were in the MTC with my son, they'd never read the Book of Mormon until they went into the MTC. So they're not really converted. <laughs> You know, so I think it's important for these kids to kind of get converted first and then they'll be able to really have an impact and maybe be able to handle it a little bit better.
0: I love that. Um I've I love that and I love the focus on converting yourself first. And those of you that are considering serving missions listening to this episode, I think what Mary Alice is sharing is helpful for you, is you've got to be for come unto Christ and be converted to Christ and our restored doctrine and then your ability to help others do that. But I like this non-transactional approach to missionary work. Yeah, I think a lot of culture is measuring your success as a missionary by how many people you baptize. And I certainly did that on my mission and still remember keeping track of the baptisms. And that was a lot of content of the letters home. But I think we can just go on missions and say our job is to love people um, the way Christ loved people. And in that spirit of love, people are going to be drawn to our doctrine and see it in our lives. And I think we'll bring people into church in a very natural, organic way as we model the life of Christ. And some people we influence for good may not join our church. And I would say that's still a success. And some people we influence already be in our church but the service and the kindness we do will help them so I think it's okay for future missionaries to look at this a little broader and and focus on their success being measured by how it improves them and and the lives they can prove without a scorecard involved or a measure of the number of people that join the church and then maybe that's easier um, to go on a mission I've never thought of this Mary Alice but you know we've had four sons um, serve and they've And I've never thought of having a conversation with them before they left on, hey, if you need to come home, this is how we'll handle it. And if you get in a tough spot, this is how I will respond to this future conversation we might have. Because I just know that your son probably, in his mind, was going over the conversation he was going to have with you. And I don't know if you talked about it ahead of time, but I assume he's incredibly relieved to hear your response, but I think parents and a bishop and a stake president could have that conversation with a leaving missionary and say, this is how I'll respond if you feel like you need to come home or you're considering coming home. Um, Any thoughts on that?
1: I think that's a really... Interesting thought, because I think a lot of parents are scared to do that (laughs) when they're giving them the opportunity to leave early. (laughs) That's funny. You know, but I think that could give so much relief to someone if they knew they were going to be received with love and it would take all the fear out of that. I think a lot of, you know, these kids really fear coming home. I mean, their own families impose that kind of fear on them. And so then they think, what will the expanded culture think? You know, if my own family is full of shame and frustration that I came home, what will everyone else think of me? I think that's what keeps a lot of kids on the mission that probably shouldn't be on the mission. And it causes a lot of damage. And so I like that idea that you just mentioned about maybe having a conversation before. We had a friend whose daughter was really like wanted to go on a mission, but fearful about it, reluctant about it. And the parents just said, we'll go for six months. And if it works out, just keep going. And she finished her 18 month mission. And it was such a productive conversation. And it was so helpful for her to know I can leave at any time. So it takes a lot of anxiety out of it, right? I'm not trapped out here (laughs) and my parents will love and support me. If I come home, I think it might almost be more helpful to helping them stay, but they can also, you know, when my son came home, you couldn't talk every week. You could talk twice a year. You wow. know, it was very different. Now you can talk every single week. You can, you know, I think he might've stayed if he could have had that kind of connection. Cause we're super close. And if I could have been able to see him and encourage him and FaceTime him every week, it could have been a totally different outcome.
0: But I, It's just interesting. I've, my agenda is not to get more missionaries out but as much as those that can serve and are able to serve to serve and self determine that's the right thing for them. But perhaps having these conversations ahead of time helps more feel like, okay, I can do this. I know I've got a supportive safety net around me that's on my team walking with me, and they will honor how I'm walking this road as a missionary. I'm walking into a lot of fog. And a lot of unknowns, and it's a big commitment. And so for, for perhaps for some, it's like that example you said. We'll go for six months or go for three months and um and remind them. We'll link listeners to Elder Holland's talk in the show notes. So you can listen to that talk and, and in mission prep or in a family discussion, um share Elder Holland's talk and say, you know, this is how we'll respond as a family, and this is how. Award council could respond after processing that talk and, you know, and sort of having these conversations ahead of time, which I don't think cause, I think every missionary that goes out knows they could come home. (laughs) So I don't think it plants the idea in their mind. I think it takes the fear out, to use the word I think you use that this is how my supportive network, my team, um, will respond. They're walking with me in kind of a non-agenda supportive way that have got my back as I'm navigating this. So that's interesting just to kind of brainstorm that together. More thoughts you'd like to share in this space.
1: Well, I just think parents have a lot of influence over their children for good and bad. And so um, I I don't want to overstress this, but I do feel like building a relationship of trust with your kids in general is really important where they feel like they can lean on you, they can talk to you and that they won't be judged or shamed for what they tell you. And so when they do start facing hard things on their missions, they can open up about it when they have the weekly calls and you can talk them through it. Because if they don't feel like there's that trust there, they might be scared to say what they're going through and that can really compound and cause some real mental health struggles. So maybe just try to, kind of put your own agenda aside and and just try to understand where they're coming from and be the cheerleader, be there for them, be there to listen and to love and to uplift them and to help them. And just because they're scared or they're having a hard week, it doesn't mean the whole thing's going to fall apart. It just means they need the love and support you can offer.
0: I love that. Um You could talk about at listeners, we, these aren't often real scripted. We just kind of, it's like Mary Allison and, and I going out to lunch and hearing her story. Um, you could talk about your podcast, the scope of your podcast. I know you've got about 90 episodes up and you've got Apple reviews that just love you, five stars. And um, people really love the work you're doing. And we'll link to your podcast in the show notes. Uh, talk about your podcast. Introduce your podcast to our listeners.
1: So the podcast is called What Now? And what we do is we have honest, faithful discussions about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints culture and beliefs. And we design it to be able to encourage, uplift, and inspire those who are listening. And we talk about everything you could possibly think of. (laughs) I mean, we talk about manifesting your potential and having a faith, Christ. We talk about abuse. We talk about Parenting hacks and pornography and um, being a working mother and facing infertility and better communication. I mean, there's eighty nine topics we've talked about so far, and it I've, it really has been an incredible resource for people. I I did intentionally design something I didn't see out there because it's what I needed. And I didn't have that to help me and support me when my son came home. And I just felt like, you know, coming home early from a mission is just one of the topics. There are so many other cultural aspects we have to be talking about that people really struggle with. And the goal is to help people stay in the church. I mean, that's the whole goal of the podcast. It's positive messaging. We're open. We're honest. We talk about the topics in an honest but faithful way to help people see where they fit in and they all fit in, you know, Christ loves all of us and he values whatever genuine offering we can give. And that there is room in this church for everyone. And we have a responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ to withhold our judgments and the limitations we might be tempted to impose on others and be stone catchers, not stone throwers.
0: Um, I love that stone catchers instead of thrown throwers um, talk about I, listeners. I just love the scope of this podcast under the umbrella of improving um, our culture and the really important tender topics you're taking on. And I think, you know, this um, Mary Alice, but I just recognize that our, I think a lot of our members are craving for this kind of content and le- and Tool and a desire to talk about this. I think there's circles sometimes out of the church that will talk about these um, tender topics, but we need to find community in the church to talk about the same content and process the same sort of issues in a way that is faith affirming. Um, I just and I sense a lot of parents want to develop better skills to talk to their kids about these topics because they're talking about them um, much earlier than I was certainly. Um, you could continue to talk about your podcast, but you could talk about, you know, what you're trying to do because you're also a local leader. You're, you know, I, I don't I know if recalled is, <laughs> it's kind of a funny term. I think you're calling yourself recalled because you, did you get released and then the word got split and you got recalled? Yes. So were you actually released for a a, a period of days and then...
1: Yes. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there are so many great resources out there. I mean, I interviewed Steve Young about his book, The Law of Love. That's an incredible book. I mean, I feel like every church member should read that book. And I feel like that's his way going forward in the church is we just need to love people. We make it so complicated and it's not that complicated. We just need to withhold our judgments and just love people because when people feel loved and trusted They thrive. They really do. They grow, they thrive, they open up and they can change. And so um, that's a great book. I loved your book too, the Listen, Learn and Love book about the church culture. There are some, I've interviewed dozens of people who have written incredible books that are so powerful. And I really created this too, not only to address, you know, my son coming home early and what that looks like in our church culture, but as a resource for me to send these podcasts to people, you know, when people struggle with LGBTQ, I've interviewed Charlie bird. I've interviewed Tom Christofferson. I've interviewed Ben Shalati. I've interviewed all these guys and a lot of them that you've interviewed, Richard, a lot more than I have, because that was your focus for so long. But I can send them podcasts about. I've interviewed mothers of LGBTQ kids, counselors of LGBTQ. A lot of members struggle with that, and we have great resources to help them. I mean, people, you know, who we have so many of my sisters that need a lot of these topics to feel included, where they're divorced and they're not sure where they fit in, and they don't have the eternal family anymore, technically, because they've been divorced. And then they keep talking about in church these forever families and their families broken. And it's so hard for them to show up every week, you know, and we talk about that and we talk about all these vulnerabilities in the church where people really need resources to see that they are cared about. They are included. You know, we had one sister who was on the cusp of leaving the church and I asked her to speak in release society. And that was happened i just felt inspired to ask her and it happened to be at that time in her life she was ready to leave in the moment i asked her to teach and the fact that she was asked to teach she felt seen she felt heard she felt empowered and that she felt cared for and and we don't have to be afraid to include people who are on the fringe we can just sweep them right in and show them that we care and that we love them And I feel like, you know, my opportunity and my service right now allows me to do that. And this podcast allows me to do that and have a resource I can share with people and say, you know, you're feeling this way. There are other people that feel this way, too. You're not alone. And people need to know that.
0: I love that story. Um, That actually brings a few tears to my eyes. One is it helps me know that you knew this woman well enough to know where she was on her faith. And you, as her friend and as a release society president, had this. She, I sent. She could trust you enough to be honest with you where she was. And that's a principle I think of good leadership is that just we somehow project um, that we're safe for the people we have stewardship responsibilities will so open up to us, and and um, then that you invited her to teach.
1: And the wonderful thing about that is after she taught, there was a line of women who came up to her after, and she talked about her vulnerability with her faith. And she talked about how hard it was to have a gay son. And she talked about where she was at. And and it was really sweet to see these women come up to her and open up and that they didn't feel alone anymore and that they felt like someone understood where they were coming from. And that is powerful. And that's what we need in Christchurch. Everyone needs to feel safe.
0: Talk to Release Society presidents or elders corn presidents that they want, you know, we only meet every other month and they want to change the culture. And sometimes I describe the culture and maybe it's too cynical as the best answer club where we kind of have these questions and we kind of know the responses we're going to get. And they generate kind of the same questions and the same responses and some elders corman really society Presidents know we need to move beyond that but i don't quite know how to do that in my ward where we can have these vulnerable authentic uh, connecting discussions that kind of are where we need to go and it doesn't mean we don't teach the doctrine but we just move into a different maybe a more mature more honest more vulnerable culture so i don't know how if you how you created that in your release society and any advice you'd give for other leaders that are saying, I want to do what you've done so that my release side of your elders quorum feels safe. Any thoughts on that?
1: Well, I'm really glad you asked me that because I feel like it starts with the leaders. If the leaders can be vulnerable, then the members feel like they can be vulnerable. But if the leaders put off the facade of perfection, then the members aren't going to feel comfortable sharing their vulnerabilities. And we're all vulnerable. We all are imperfect. So it's okay. I think a lot of times people feel like they have to have this facade of perfection, but people don't connect to perfection. They connect to vulnerability. So if you can be open as a leader and you can share maybe some struggles you've had or things you've gone through or your kids have gone through in a in a way that's appropriate, that that really opens the doors up for people to be able to talk about these things in a safe place cuz our church environment should be the safest place outside of our homes for us so
0: well that's powerful answer off the cuff i wrote down people don't commit to connect to perfection but to vulnerability Um, i certainly have seen that in elder holland's talk where he talked about his own mental health my love and respect for elder holland just went up when he was vulnerable about his own mental health when sister alberto talked about um, the suicide of her own father and how they navigate this family. It just, I, I just love Sister Alberto. And if I saw her, I would just give her this gigantic hug for her courage to be open about her family situation and the de shame that creates around talking about these topics. But your answer was terrific is that as leaders, we need to do this and we need to take the lead. It can't, it, um, so that was a terrific answer. Talk about, I don't know. Uh, Do you? What is the content for release society? Do you take every week a conference talk and have? I mean, talk about how you're developing curriculum, and I'm not even sure what the rules are (laughs) for release society. On if it's just given to you each week, or if a release society president and a presidency can choose um, the content, and are you rotating teachers or do you have the same teachers? People might be interested in just what you're doing to create this culture?
1: Yeah, so that's a good question. So we teach from the most recent conference talks. So um, we only teach from the most recent conference talks and we encourage the teachers to stick to that conference talk. That is their content. And so it's coming directly from the brethren of the church. And there are so many amazing conference talks, so many. And we pick and choose the teachers during COVID. We had so many people in our ward. We had over 600 people on our rolls. Wow. I mean, it was insane. Like we were in an, we're an old stake center building and it was beyond the stage. I mean, it was nuts. And so it's good that they just split the ward. It's half the size. So we didn't gain anybody. We just lost half as many people, but um, so we allowed a lot of people to teach in rotation because we just didn't have enough callings for everybody. So we had like 10 different people teaching in rotation. So everyone could feel like they had some sort of a role or a calling. So they weren't teaching a lot, but it it gave them something to do. And it allows them to really grow and develop too. I feel like, you know, when we teach something is when we learn the most is in preparation to teach something, Right. And so, but now that the ward is smaller, we've called four teachers. Our ward is half the size now. And we have a lot of inactive people on our roles too. So we probably have on any given release Society Sunday, probably like 50 people. And so it's much smaller or 40 to 50. And so that way now we have four teachers. So it's a lot more manageable now. It's actually a lot easier being release Society president now. (laughs)
0: We had 56 families move in during COVID. That is amazing. Uh, Talk about how to create vulnerability when a conference talk itself doesn't have vulnerability. Some conference talks do, and they would lead more into a discussion. Some might be more a statement of our doctrine. Talk about, and maybe you can um, use our doctrine to talk about vulnerability or be real. Any thoughts for just teachers that are, listening and saying i want to do what mary alice is suggesting and but i'm looking at a conference talk and i don't see how to create vulnerability or connection as i teach the doctrine
1: well i think you can also change if it's not a talk you feel comfortable teaching and you don't feel like you connect with it you can talk to the counselor over the lessons and just say would it be okay if i taught this other conference talk i feel like i connect with it a lot more it's okay to speak up um but Just, I mean, I really feel like personal experiences and allowing people in the um, membership who are sitting there listening to the lesson, allow them to speak. I think the best lessons are when the members are sharing their experiences. So if you don't feel like there's something you could really connect on or you're vulnerable about, you could open it up and allow the people in the room to share. And I think the best teachers do that. It's really about asking questions that allow people the opportunity to open up about their experience. And then you get this whole variety of experience from people. I love those lessons. And we encourage our teachers to do that. Open it up for conversation because that's where people learn the most from each other.
0: I love this line that the goal of the teacher is to open it up for people to share their experience. Um, Versus maybe a fact-based sort of scholarly answer. Those scholarly answers are often very helpful to help me understand the doctrine, but sometimes um, the application of their personal experience uh, moves me more. And I think we're yearning for that a little bit more. So I love just the way you kind of frame that up. And I think to your point, it starts with leaders and and leaders opening up about their personal experiences. I remember, listeners, um, seeing a. have seen a therapist twice in my life, and once was when I was a YSA bishop, and I remember feeding shame, and I wrote this in the book about mental health, that I hope my YSAs don't ever see me going into my weekly therapy appointment because they'd think less of me. And, you know, I've thought about that, Mary Alice, and I thought, you know, in the appropriate situation, I might have been open about that. And I don't think it would have had the YSAs think less of me or uh, my um, calling to be the YSA bishop, but maybe they would have felt safe opening up to me. Maybe not about mental health issues. You just say, this guy's pretty real. Um, just And he feels safe to me. And he's talking about, at times, his own journey. And so I've thought about maybe I could have done that um, in hindsight, but I felt shame. I remember actually my office for my therapist was on the other side of town. I remember parking my car and being glad it was on the other side of town because the likelihood of YSA would see me um, would be very low. And I've just thought about that, about perhaps how I could have handled that. What I saw as a weakness is just the reality of my life, but maybe in an appropriate way created better connection and better conversation. And maybe people that needed therapy and Um, needed mental health resources, just like people have broken bones or pretty quickly will turn to physical help. They would have modeled that in their own lives if they'd seen me model that um, outwardly in my life. So just some food for thought, listeners, as you're trying to figure the best way to create a culture around you as a parent or you as a local leader. Um, We've got about Five more minutes, roughly, Mary, do you, Mary Alice, do you have more things you'd like to share?
1: Well, I just think as members of the church, we're all inherently good people, right? We're all striving to help and love and lift other people. And that we don't have to be afraid of being vulnerable. I think our human nature is scared of that. And the real way we connect, like you were talking about Sister Roberto, I mean, I can't imagine the guts it took for her over the pulpit in conference to talk about the suicide of her father. But look at the fallout from that. So many people have gotten help because of it. And so many people have felt validated because of it and safe because of it. And oh my gosh, a church leader is talking about suicide in conference. So we can be more open. It gave permission, I think, for leaders to be more open. And I just know when I've struggled through things in my life, when someone comes to me and they say, I've been through that and that was hard. And I you know, I can relate to what you're going through. It's so healing that we're not alone in our suffering. We're not alone in our discouragement. We're not alone in feeling alone. And sometimes we will feel alone. Because in this life, we are going to have challenges and hardships. And Heavenly Father has designed this gospel of Jesus Christ to be a healing balm for all of us. That we are supposed to be there to love and lift and support each other. Just like us as parents want our children to love and lift and care for each other. It is so endearing when I see my children loving each other. There's nothing makes me happier. If they are judging each other and criticizing each other, it pains me. And I think that's how our Heavenly Father feels. I think it pains Him when He sees us hurting each other, and how much joy He feels when He sees us genuinely loving and reaching out to each other and supporting each other. So, and I say these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.
0: Thank you, Mary Alice Hatch. I've just been moved listening to you and thank you for the work you're doing in so many circles formally through your church callings and your temple service, but this kind of informal way um, through your podcast and um, acting on your impressions to start something new. There may have been voices in your head said there's already enough podcasts out there, but I think there's, your podcast is really needed. So listeners in the show notes will link to Mary Alice Hatch's podcast and elder holland's talk and thank you mary alice hatch this is richard osler and mary alice hatch signing off another episode of listen learn and love
1: thank you so much appreciate the opportunity